Hey Boos, welcome to Crime and Spirits, your one-stop shop for handcrafted cocktails, spooky stories, and all things true crime. I am your resident bartender, Suze, and I'll be teaching you all a new drink recipe at the beginning of each of our episodes. And I'm Bree, drinker of the drinks, and I write the stories we tell. So, what should you expect while listening to us? Well, good question. There's going to be some swearing. Oh, a lot of swearing. Probably some rambling. Definitely rambling. And most likely a lot of off-topic pop culture references. We specialize in Bob's Burgers and maybe Always Sunny. Definitely. But what do you want from us? We're going to be drinking. And hopefully you will be too. So come hang out with us each week. And if you want to spend more time with us, check out the description for the link to all of our socials. Let's buckle up buttercups and sip tight. Let's get into it. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Crime and Spirits. I'm Bree. And I'm Suze. And thank you so much for joining us. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the co-ed killer, Ed Kemper, the one and only. Dun, dun, dun. He is incredibly well known in the true crime universe and he happens to be one of my personal favorite to talk about and investigate. He has given countless interviews over the years, most notably being his participation in the FBI's research project, which was the basis for the formation of the BAU. You know, criminal minds. Yeah. Uh, That all took place in the 1970s, which was right around the time that Kemper was doing his thing. So ever since he got arrested, Kemper has not stopped talking and has given the public real insight into his crimes and explained why he did what he did, something we don't see too often. So without further ado, we're going to get into things, but to make sure we kick things off right, Suze is going to hook us up. Hi guys. Um, we are about to delve into the super dark mind of Ed Kemper, so we are going to need a stiff drink. Oh yeah. Um, to offset all the dark and twisty stuff we'll be talking about, we will be making a cocktail called the Co-Ed. It's a bright, fun cocktail, just like Kemptum's, Kemper's victims were. Now, just to make things clear, we are not making light of these murders. No. We're just trying to let you have a cocktail while you listen to this stuff. This is tough, you know, tough things to talk about. And while I enjoy exploring the mind of psychopaths, it's still difficult. So you're going to need something to take the edge off. And we're here to provide that for you. (laughs) To start off, you'll need cranberry juice and club soda as your mixers. The liquor we're using is called Bombay Bramble. It's a gin, y'all. I don't even like gin. (laughs) But it's a blackberry and raspberry infused gin, which you had me at blackberry because anything blackberry sounds hella freaking good. Honestly, anything like berry flavored, I'm pretty much on board for. And this product intrigued me. I saw it in like a magazine article or something and I was like, I got to find something to do with this. Yes. Um, however, I did also find that this gin was sort of hard to find in our region. We're in yeah. Pennsylvania. Our state stores can be kind of touchy with stuff. PA has weird liquor laws. It's just a whole lot. There's a lot happening here. So if you can't find my beloved blackberry raspberry gin, <laughs> I also picked up pinnacle raspberry. It's a vodka, obviously, but it will make the drink sweeter. It works just as well if it suits your taste or it's easier to find. So feel free to make that adjustment. Um, So to whip up this easy-peasy co-ed cocktail, you take your trusty shaker of ice and throw in one and a half ounces of the gin or vodka, whatever blows your hair back. Splash in two ounces of the cranberry juice. Cap it. Let me just cap it real quick. Mix it. 
and then strain it over some fresh ice in a fresh pint glass. Just splash a little club soda on top and give it a sip. Let me know what you think. Bree's here for feedback. Don't worry. It's so good. I, I also that. don't like gin, for the record. I don't really branch out super a lot. I usually stick to wine. And I was pleasantly surprised because when Sue's first pitched this drink, I was like, mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> but uh, I took one sip, and honestly, we've had it a couple of times since we've workshopped the drink. And so here we are. <laughs> it's been good every time. So without further ado, let's get into this story here. So... As is the case with most serial killers and awful humans, this case does involve some sexual assault and child abuse. So just kind of throwing it out there in the beginning, if that's not something you want to listen to. Kemper is really fucked up. Uh, like so, so, so. His story is really interesting for a lot of reasons, which we'll get into. But, you know, it's not everyone's cup of tea. So if that's the case, no worries. Just, you know, catch up with us next week. So, Kemper is categorized as a serial killer and is responsible for a total of 10 murders, which includes his own mother and maternal grandparents. Uh, Can we say mommy issues? Red flag much? <laughs> so, we're going to start with getting into his background and childhood just a bit because this is really important in the case of Kemper. We've seen this with everybody we've covered pretty much so far, with the exception of Scott Peterson. Truth. Um, but this guy, Ed Kemper, really had the stat like the deck stacked against him um he was born on december 18th 1948 in burbank california his parents were clarnell stage and edmund and meal kemper jr ed had two sisters alan and susan they grew up in an extremely abusive environment and this led to ed having a very volatile relationship with both of his parents um, his parents eventually divorced when Ed was young, and he just could not get over it. He was obsessed with his parents' divorce. That's so weird to me. That's one red flag. It's, it's just all it's just all so odd. Um, Clarnell, his mom, gained physical custody of the children, and this is when she became Ed's main abuser. His dad ran off and basically got remarried and kind of just washed his hands of the I situation. Think, didn't he start a new family and basically, basically was like, this is my family now, you mean nothing to me? Pretty much. Yeah. Um, so while all of this is happening, Ed had begun to also show signs of sociopathic behavior. So while he definitely had a not great start to things, he also was also just crazy. I feel like he had the propensity for psychopathic behavior. Like, it's just Absolutely. something that people have in their brains. Oh, for sure. Um, we're talking about him doing things like killing animals and acting out sexual rituals with his sister's dolls. <laughs> and he was very fond of torturing and decapitating those dolls as well. <laughs> foreshadowing, friends. Foreshadowing. Yeah, this is kind of... It's odd because this is kind of where he started he really started creating his own ritual, like his own M.O. In freaking childhood. As a baby child. Mm. So, not surprising, Ed's parents were quite disturbed by their own son. Um, they still stayed fairly involved in his upbringing, but until they just couldn't handle him anymore. Which I totally understand, because at some point, Clarnell was at her wit's end dealing with Ed. During Christmas time of 1963, uh... He was taken to his grandparents' farm in North Folk, California, 
Um, he didn't think too highly of his grandparents. He thought his grandmother was a nag and that his grandpa was boring. Just imagine. <laughs> but naggy and boring. What a pair. Yeah. Despite this, uh, Ed found ways to keep himself busy on the farm. Uh, if you can't guess, they're not going to be good ways. <laughs> um, he had a twenty-two rifle that was given to him by his grandfather. He used this to shoot gophers, rabbits, and birds. Why give somebody who is killing animals and decapitating his sister's dolls a gun? So I can see if you're hunting for meat purposes right. to put food on the table. That, to me, makes sense. This is just for fun. Yeah. <laughs> Literally for pleasure. Um, because he obviously seemed to get some sort of weird enjoyment out of it. It's gross. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, he did have permission from his grandparents to help control the rodent population on the farm. Um, hence the gopher and rabbit shooting. Um, however, the bird thing was just sort of like a fun free thing he wanted to do and just kept doing. Now look, I'm terrified of birds. Like Me too. Absolutely terrified They're of them. They're tiny dinosaurs with wings. Literally that. Horrifying. But like, as soon as you mention hurting animals, I'm immediately like, you are a horrible human. Especially poor defenseless ones. Yeah. I'm gonna assume it was not just gophers, rabbits, and birds. I'm sure there were also people's cats and dogs. Well, there was stories from his neighborhood when he lived with his mom that like... Pets were going missing, and, you know, he was kind of doing doing it all over the place. <laughs> um, yeah, so, anyways, while staying on the farm, he attended Sierra Joint Union High School, um, and during his attendance there, his teachers all found him to be meeker and quieter overall. He didn't cause any trouble. He had average grades, and he seemed to try to have the least amount of attention drawn to himself as possible, which... That big make, hulking human yeah so. that makes sense like i'm on the taller side for a woman and i know also being a curvier girl i really did try to like i was very quiet during school and growing up and so i feel like that's a defense mechanism maybe so that doesn't surprise True. me and he's very smart it's hard being the smartest person in the room i don't know what that's like but i've heard i've, I've heard <laughs> i've heard tell that it's pretty difficult so i mean that's not really surprising because a lot of people are like, that doesn't make sense. But it, it really does to if me, you think about it. it does. Yeah. So let us fast forward. We're at the end of the school year. Ed takes a trip to see his beloved mother. Why? He stayed for about two weeks and upon his arrival back on the farm seemed much sadder and just had a weird ominous vibe about dun, him. Dun, dun, dun. Mm -hmm. Tension just kept growing all summer. Well, here's, no shit. Here's the kicker, children. His grandmother did not trust Ed and would take her gun with her everywhere she went. Well, yeah. What? Uh, That's a red flag if you can't imagine being in your own home with your own grandson without your gun attached to you. Without a firearm. What? And of course, because Ed is Ed, he's insulted by the implication that he can't be trusted. I love that. I love that. Because you know what? He couldn't be what? trusted. Shocker. Uh, during this time, his violent fantasies began again, and this time they were starring Grandma. Ugh. <sighs> so, here we are, August 27th, 1964, Ed's 15, sitting at a kitchen table with his grandma while she put a few finishing touches on one of the children's books she had written. He was just oddly staring at her. That Which, would be so unnerving. 
a giant teenager just <laughs> staring at you. You're already scared of him. You already carry a gun on your person. Like, what? Yeah. So, obviously, she grew uncomfortable with the uninterrupted attention from Ed, and she said, stop it. Check it out. <laughs> Get out. Get no. out. <laughs> so, he did just what she asked. He called his dog, told his grandma that he was going shooting. He exited the home, turned right back around, shot his grandma three times, once in the back of the head and twice in her back, which means he obviously didn't expect her to survive these wounds. Yeah. Those were like shoot to kills. Yeah. Kill shot. Yep. Um, he then proceeded to wrap her head in a hand towel and drag her body to the bathroom. Apparently, Ed's grandfather was out at the grocery store while all this heinousness was going down. Of course, upon his arrival home, he was shot as well. Ed panics a little bit at this point. Uh, he ended up calling his mom and begged her to call 911. Can you just imagine no. being... <laughs> nope, none of it. I can't being imagine. Being at the grocery it. store, coming home and like unloading your groceries to find out... like. That your wife has been killed by your grandson and that you're next. Like, I I couldn't find a lot of information regarding exactly how that went down. Like, I'd be curious to know, did he shoot him the second he got out of the car? Did, was he unloading the groceries? He had to how did this in work? the house because, well, I guess maybe if the farmhouse was isolated, nobody would have seen it. I'm yeah. thinking, like, suburban, not rural, but... I mean, it's got to, I mean, if it's a farm, it's got to be more in the country, Obviously, right? Obviously, though, let's just think about it. Gophers and rabbits are sort of larger animals. Yeah. He's shooting birds. That yeah. That takes like a sort, like a sort of like, like weird a trained, marksmanship. Like a trained where, eye, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Some Annie Get Your Gun, mm. like, gross edition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that also gets me about this is that he calls his mom and he's like, Mommy, please. Like, can you call 911? Like, you just murdered your grandparents and you can't even call the police? He murdered them for no reason. Yeah. In fact, what happens next is that Ed gets picked up by the police. He gets questioned about the sequence of events that led to this moment. Ed claims that he, quote, wanted to see what it felt like to kill grandma. Like, <laughs> red what? flag? That's not even a red flag. That's like a... That's like billboard, like flashing, board. like alert, alert, Psycho alert. <laughs> like, I guess, though, this is the early 1960s, so I don't suppose they had quite a handle on, you know, I'm sure this was and stuff. I remember before my grandma passed away, her and I, she would watch a lot of older movies with me, and we were watching this one movie called The Bad Seed that came out, I think, in the 50s. And I remember her being like, this was considered terrifying. Like, this is a scary movie. And it was just about this little girl who was no older than, like, seven, who basically killed people. And, but it was like, she, like, made, she put them in position to get killed. Like, accidents, oh. if you will. Like, things like... It, oh, we had Drew Barrymore in Firestarter. Yeah. She could just start fires with her brain. I mean, I love Drew Barrymore. Me too. Good for her. But it was, <laughs> it was interesting because, you know, watching it in the early 2000s as a teenager, I was like, this isn't... It was more like a suspense thriller, kind of, if you will. But she was like, no, this was just unheard of. Like, this was not something that happened so taking that line of logic i can see where they would just be like oh my fucking god like what do we even do with this so i feel like murders like this maybe not to this extent but murders happened all the time in the 50s and 60s it's not like they just didn't happen it's just 
you didn't have, you know, the interweb 15, to be like, oh, or, by the way. Like, or the fact that he was 15 years old. True. I think he's still a child. That, I feel, is happening more and more frequently. But that's a topic for another day, my friend. <laughs> right. The thing that really gets me the most is that he had to kill his grandfather, according to him, because his grandfather would have been mad at Ed no for what he did. So let's see. He's mad that he can't be trusted, and then he's like, "Well, Grandpa would be mad at me because I fucking killed Grandma." I shot him. So back let of me the just head. take him out when he gets back from the grocery store. The audacity of this motherfucker. The line of thinking—it's just. None it's, of it makes any sense, no. which... <laughs> it's k Razzy. That's what that is. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Ed gets committed to a Tuscadero State Hospital, and this whole thing is what really I find so interesting. So he gets diagnosed as a sociopath, which is unheard of in today's time as a teenager. I'm pretty sure they won't even really definitively diagnose somebody until they're 18. It's true. I think 18. they wait until you're like quote unquote a grown-up before yeah. they can because they say your brain's not fully formed or or something until you're like 21 which why your legal adult at 18 is beyond me but anyway again that's <laughs> another topic we're just gonna have Brie and Susan's rants and raves one of these honestly days. so during his time at the hospital Ed gets to know the other prisoners there. And they were a group of serial rapists and violent murderers and, like, the worst of what the fucking worst. What a good place worst. to put a 15-year-old sociopath. Yeah, he was 15 when he got locked up. A teenager. And he was considered inte- intelligently, moderately gifted. If I remember correctly, he was rumored to have an IQ of, like, 136, which is stupid high. Stupid high. Too bad he used his brains for evil. (laughs) (laughs) It was crazy. So this kid, literally a child, is just sitting in the state hospital listening to these other guys tell their stories of awfulness. And he learned from them. Ed would make mental notes about the mistakes that other prisoners had made. He paid attention to what they had done wrong and what ultimately led to them getting caught. And this is where Ed's sexual awareness really became entwined with violence, and his fantasies really just kept on evolving well, from here. Well, because that's another interesting point. Like, he's coming into his sexuality at that point. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And he's learning from all these horrible, awful people, and he's already had these horrible, awful urges. Like, what a perfect storm of awfulness. Hon- yeah, honestly. Especially because of how smart he is, he was able to learn, and he was able to, like, make lists and notes, and he, like... I like the note, like, paid attention to what the others had done wrong, because obviously they'd done something, they'd gotten tripped up somewhere because they're locked up in the state hospital. Exactly, and we'll see down the line, like, how he applies all of this. And so, like, not only was he making friends with prisoners, he also befriended his own fucking psychiatrist... It went as far as Kemper becoming the doctor's apprentice. And this should never be a thing. No! This afforded him special permissions, and he was able to gain access to prisoner tests and personnel files. It It's insane to me, because he was able to... So he had access to all of the questionnaires and, like, testing that the patients would go through. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. So he would be able... Like, he literally learned what he needed to do and say... In order to present as a rehabilitated citizen. Like, look at me. I'm good to go. I'm no threat to anyone. You can just release me out into the wild type thing. No fewer than 19 doctors 
signed off that Ed Kemper was not a threat to himself or society. I hope they're all rolling. There was one doctor who was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. This guy is a goddamn psychopath. Like, what is happening? But Ed Kemper played them all. He literally had the wool pulled over all He played them like a damn violin. I can't believe it. It's just, and, and, you know, he was there for 15. So, for, for, I'm sorry, he was there for five years. So, from 15 to 20. And those are, like, such formative years. And for you to be that manipulative at that age, like, it it blows my mind. The fact that he was able to stay there for a total of five years... He was able to be given a clean bill of health, but never actually accepted responsibility for his crime. He was stating that it was beyond his control. Well, and that's the biggest thing with, like, being released from prison. Look at what's-her-face from the Manson murders. She's still oh, in jail. yeah. Right. Because she's like, well, I didn't do it. He made me do it. Yeah. And that's, the board's like, <laughs> wrong answer. Like, You're well, not rehabilitated right, absolutely. if you still think that way. And while I definitely do believe that the fact that, like, I mean, Manson's a whole other thing, but, like, I definitely think that he you know, hmm. was culpable and deserved to be locked up. Oh, for sure. She's showing no remorse. Not at all. And that's really what it comes down to. And that's what Ed, that's what happened with Ed, is that he just, he played the part to get what he wanted. And I think that's actually the worst part. It's terrifying. Because they then let him go. Right. <laughs> and we see what fucking happened. Right. Well, we will. We will. We will seeing. see. <laughs> um, so while Dear Ed was away, uh, his mother landed a job at UC Santa Cruz and moved the family to California. So at 20 years old, Ed's released from a Tuscadero into his mother's care. Because, you know, super great. Good environment. Super great for idea. For that type of person. Love that. Um, he begins working a series of just odd jobs, eventually landing a full-time position with the State of California Department of Public Works Division. Um, he even got an apartment with a friend of his. Check him out. I would love to know who this friend is. Yeah, in everything I've read, they don't actually name that person. Well, I think it's by his Could choice. you imagine being that person and being like, I lived with fucking the co-ed killer? No. I No, Mm-mm. no thanks. I'm good. Um, well, in this day and age, people would be like, who will pay me the most to talk about it? But back then, people were actually embarrassed. Well, I mean, look at what happened things. after the Scott Peterson case. Like, the jurors, immediately after sending him, him to death, was like, let me get a book deal. Where's the, like, where's the media at? Let Gross. me tell everything. In case you can't tell, we hate them. <laughs> Um, so at this point, Ed's just trying to get his shit together enough so that he could land his dream job. He wanted to be, y'all, he wanted to be a police officer. (laughs) I can't. Let me just say that again. His dream job was to become a police officer after committing two murders. After being a murderer. At the age of 15. But he's he's rehabilitated, Zeus. Um, He's clearly fine. But I and I honestly feel this is a lucky turn of events because can you only imagine what would have happened if that man became a police officer? Oh god, because these violent tendencies would not have gone away. So unfortunately for our dear friend Ed, uh, it's not an option. He's just too freaking tall. At the time of his arrest, he was six foot nine, weighing in at approximately two hundred and eighty pounds. Obviously, there's a height restriction for police officers, which I never knew. You have makes to be sense. able to pass, like, a physical and do all that kind of stuff. And if you've ever seen pictures of Ed Kemper, he is a... 
It's comical. Looking motherfucker. Oh, it's the so funny. The deputies look like tiny children beside him. <laughs> I highly, highly recommend if you are not familiar with what we're talking about, oh, like true. go, go do, do a Google, Google search. Search, yeah. The it's, deputies look like children with like fake handcuffs. Like, like what are they gonna moment, do? You could just go huh and break them <laughs> and just slap them. And he's just like he's just straight chilling. He's like, this is fine. I'm allowing you to lead me to my prison cell. <laughs> I just what I can't uh, so anyways this rejection basically immediately before he had the chance to do anything about it uh, led Kemper to settle for just hanging out at a well-known cop bar called the jury room <laughs> yeah he ironically like, literally it's so I just I can't wrap my little brain around it I he would pick up the officers like they loved him they called him Big Ed they were like this is my dude and he just had a great time like literally picking up these like 200 pound men and just lifting them above his like shoulders and they were like oh ha, ha, this is great like the bunch of drunk fucking police officers where's being that, hoisted in the air where's that cop instinct at y'all? well they're all fucking drunk they're at a bar they don't care did you know in Erie we have a terrifying bar called the Alibi Bar? Mm. <laughs> Where's this located? On the east side. Y'all, when I say east side, I mean it's like, like the east it's side. Hood, hood. But yeah, it's called the Alibi Bar. It Is just that made like me a... think that would be funny. That would I feel be... like people. It could might it might could have been everything in Erie. All of our bars. We have a weird obsession with old shit. Yeah. It doesn't it... matter if it's run down or falling apart. It's old. We love it. Fight me on it. Honestly. We're, one, we're I, don't, I, actually, I actually don't know the history of it. So huh. perhaps I should look into that. The one thing I will say about this, and Susan and I have plans to incorporate this later on down the road, but there is a lot of cool things about our city. A lot of haunted, spooky shit. We're some, not trying to make it sound dumpy and terrifying. Some serial killer shit, to be honest. Um, so we'll fill you in on that later. <laughs> um, so anyways, back to the jury room and the hoisting of the cops. Um... <laughs> This is still Ed's spot, even after he's started committing his crimes. Which the audacity of the man. So he obviously, so he learned from a Tescadero how to pick up tips from people. So I'm going to assume he's learning from the cops. Like, yeah, how do I outfit my car? So gets a car, begins to equip it with a radio transmitter, mm-hmm. a microphone, a large whip antenna. Yeah. Again, at this point, things take an even worse turn. He starts to pick up female hitchhikers. He wanted to learn how to make women trust him. I just, what? Six foot nine, 300 pounds. Uh, mm, but back then, hitchhiking was more prevalent, so I feel like they just accepted it. It was the, the thing no to what. do. Yeah, yeah, you didn't really, because it wasn't. To get from point A to point B. Yeah, it wasn't inherently terrifying at that point. Um, but here's where it does get creepy. <laughs> he paid attention to the way that they reacted to him and would adjust accordingly. So he's just planning, always planning. It always. speaks to his level of intelligence, mm-hmm. to be honest, because, like, what a detail. You know, to, to take care of. But he, he's had such good training at a Tescadero in the jury room, so... Right? <laughs> All of these women in the beginning were safely delivered to their destinations. Nothing more than some research and probably some sort of gross fantasy fodder. Ugh. Um, but at the end of the day, Big Ed was a planner. And he began to outfit his vehicle to suit his specific needs. <laughs> the antenna came off. 
he rigged the passenger side door so it couldn't be opened from the inside. Which, Creepy. If you're ever in Ubers, make sure you check that because that's a thing. Always take a picture of the license plate and share it. That too. Safety first, folks. Um, and also, Ed had murder tools. Uh, he placed them all in the trunk of the car, which included, but we're not limited to, <laughs> plastic bags, knives, guns, and probably several blankets, I would say. The interesting thing about Kemper's MO is that he had a very specific, like, victimology. Like, it was young women, hitchhikers, people he could get overtake easily. We've seen this before with Ted Bundy. He had a very specific type he was mm-hmm. looking for, but Ed Kemper had the distinct advantage of being a goddamn giant. Yeah. So he could literally physically overpower anyone he wanted. It was the fact that he lulled these women into a secure enough sense of safety to get into a car with him. Yeah. Well, and he wasn't discerning about the way he killed. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is You true. know what I mean? Like, he... He seemed to favor, like, one specific tool. Like, he seemed to favor the knife, but he did whatever he needed to, which we're going to see now that we're going to get into the co-ed murders. Oh, no. So this is where he earns his moniker, the co-ed killer. This all leads us to May of 1972. He begins to pick up women who become his victims. So, you know, he's called the co-ed killer because of his preferred hunting grounds and his victimology. They were all young women in college, all hitchhiking. Uh, they were kind of going in or out of Cali. I think that he picked them up around the college campus. So some of them weren't even from the area. Or they were just getting back or, you know, whatever. His MO was to take his victims to a more secluded place and kill them. He accomplished this a few different ways. And once dead, Kemper took the bodies back to his apartment. And his roommate. Yeah. You guys. uh... (laughs) He had a roommate. And then he would sexually violate the bodies, and then he would dissect the bodies. The dissection is just really what puts it over the top for me. We have been seeing that a lot, though. Like, that's apparently, like, a thing. I, I guess I didn't realize it so much, but all of, like... My brain just, like, blocked it out. Three like, no, of no, our no. first four cases have involved dissection of yeah. some way, shape, or form. And, like, two of them now, because Kemper also admitted to cannibalism at one point. So two of them now involved with eating. So that's cool. Love that for us. Ew. At least he didn't have a recipe that he followed, Shudder. I guess. <laughs> Uh, Kemper likes to engage in sex acts with, like, specific body parts. One example being that he would shower with the heads and he would use them to masturbate. I can't. I know. I don't even have a comment other than I don't have a comment. <laughs> other than fucking gross. Yes. That's <laughs> His dump sites were mostly ravines. However, there's at least two known exceptions to this. So, the first murders took place on May 5th, 1972. Marianne Pesci and Mita Lucheza. They were roommates who were hitchhiking to Stanford University. Ed offered the ladies a ride, and they got into his vehicle. He drives around for a little bit first, but then he pulls out his gun, and he threatens them. He pulls into a deserted area where he handcuffs Marianne and locks Anita in the trunk. So he basically wanted to separate them. It's true. He focused on Marianne first, lays her down in the back seat of the car, and attempted to strangle her with a plastic bag. Marianne wasn't going to go down so easy. She bit a hole through the bag. Like, fucking badass. Good for her. <laughs> bit a hole through the bag, and the cloth he had 
tried next was actually had broken before he was able to finish it. So at this point, he pulls out his knife and he stabs her repeatedly. He ultimately decides to slash her throat. And this is when Ed removes Anita from the trunk. He basically made it sound um, that, like, Marianne needed her, her help to coax her out of the trunk so he could then turn around and stab her to and death with the knife. basically repeat it, yeah. She was also a fighter. She was worn down really quickly, though. And unfortunately, it did not end well. Afterwards, Ed drives around with the bodies in his car for a bit before bringing them back to his apartment. Oh, no. Marianne's body was undressed, dissected, and buried in the bag that he used to strangle her. Anita was also beheaded. Kemper kept both the heads for a little bit. Ew, 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 ew. But ultimately disposed of them in a ravine. In August of that year, Marianne's head was found and identified, and later, post-arrest, Ed would lead authorities to the location of the rest of Marianne's body. Anita, however, was never found. And honestly, this is the stuff that makes me the most sad. Yeah. Is they left together with nothing but, like, hopes and dreams ahead of them, and then... This is what happened. One out of two was found. Yeah. Oh, so, we're on to the next victim, you guys. Her name's Aiko Koo. She was hitchhiking to dance class, which... It's September of 1972, so I guess back then it was fine to let your children do that, but <laughs> she was only 15 years old I cannot um, well in the car she saw the gun and basically caught on right away to what Kemper was trying to do he tried to calm her down telling her he was planning on using the gun to kill himself and that she would be just fine if she didn't try to alert the police or any passerby and she was 15 how like I feel at 15 I would have been like whatever you say. Like okay, okay scary man with a gun. Right, you gi- got it. I'll be gigantic. fucking quiet. So I feel like maybe this is stereotypical of me. Dancers are smaller generally or speaking. Thinner, or more, taller, more you, slim, like lighter yeah. on their feet. So mm-hmm. not only was she outsized but outaged out mm-hmm. everything, you know. Even just not even having the life experience to recognize that something This was is up. a scary man. Yeah. yeah. Um, He drove into the mountains, he parked out of sight, and this is where he taped her mouth shut and tried to suffocate her with his bare hands, y'all. She fought back a lot, um, but eventually lost consciousness. She would awaken moments later, only for Kemper to continue to try to suffocate her, this time with her own scarf. That's... That's like an extra layer of awfulness. A lot of killers, I feel, do that. I feel like... Not everybody's like Bundy packing pantyhose. (laughs) And glad bags. (laughs) Glad trash bags. I mean, Kemper was nothing if not prepared. And I think that's what really makes me go, hmm, about this particular moment. Because was that his plan? Like, did you plan to just be like, let me just kill her with whatever I can? I actually feel though as though for him that was probably like part of the excitement factor. Mm. I know he liked to have a plan, but every now and then if a wrench was thrown in at something like that was just a happy surprise for him. I couldn't find very many details on this because I got lost in all the research, but I had heard that there was a story that one of his victims actually ended up locking him out of the car. I don't know which one. I don't know any details other than this. But I would find it really interesting if that were true and, like, how that actually went down. So if anybody listening happens to know, 
please please hook a sister up with this information. We could use some deets on that. Yes. Um. So back to Iko. Unfortunately, once he was sure that she was no longer breathing, he removed her from the car. He laid her on the ground and proceeded to rape her. Mm. After all of this, he put her body into the trunk of his car, and he went to his local hangout. We're going to assume it's the jury room, but we don't actually know. Nothing was specified, yeah. But I think that's a very Ed Kemper-ish thing to do, is to just be like, look at me, let me flaunt it, even though you don't know what's happening. Let me go hang out with the fucking police department. Um, he hung out for a few hours, even stopped by his mom's house at some point, all the while occasionally opening the trunk to just gaze at we- what he considered to be his conquest. He's fucking gross. If I ever met him in person, I'd just jab him with my pen in his eye or something. I don't think I'd be able to reach his eye, but I, I don't could think definitely, I could like, kick him Ooh, in the dick or nuts. something. Yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> Um, so, of course, he ended up at his beloved apartment where he placed uh, Aiko's body onto his bed and proceeded to dissect her. Um, however, her disappearance was not linked to the previous victims at the time. January 8th of 1973, Ed Kemper drove Cindy Shaw to the hills near Watsonville. He forced her into the trunk of his car and shot her with a gun he had purchased that day. He took her body to his home. At this point in life, Kemper had moved back in with his, his mom, which probably made things a bit trickier for him. How are you going to dissect bodies on the living room carpet? I mean, your mother there. To be fair, his mom seemed very checked out. Oh yeah, of his sure. life at this point. Like I, I couldn't find. I really did try to search. Like, why did he move back in his mom's? Like, what happened? I personally couldn't find anything. Again, if you guys are better at research than me, let me know. Um. He but, certainly did talk enough. There's got to be something out there, but I, I don't... There's just so much to sift through. There's so many interviews, and there's just so... I'm sure, to be fair, Clarnell was not in her best frame of mind, yeah. so I'm sure she, she did, needed financial help yeah. in addition to just, like, help around the house and stuff like His that. His mom did have um, borderline personality disorder, which I'm sure played a huge role in her behavior throughout his entire life. Not that that's an excuse to abuse your child... But that would make sense. Like, your line of logic there checks out. I, I accept it. Not saying it's <laughs> the right thought process, but I'm just saying it makes sense. If I had to instance. think about this. <laughs> so what would happen is, is that Ed would wait for his mom to leave for work the next morning before he could violate Cindy's corpse, and he dissected her in the bathroom, probably for cleanliness purposes. Uh. He, took vi- he took great care to wash away any and all traces of Cindy. He even went as far as removing the bullet that was lodged in her skull. That's actually, like, grossly smart. Because well, ballistics yeah. back then weren't, like, wonderful, but they still were, like, there. Yeah. You know, that was still a thing. I, yeah, for sure. Like, this is from well, a Ruger or from a shotgun or a blah, blah. Like, I insert, don't know guns. Insert gun type insert here. Gun. <laughs> I also think that it's again, speaks to his intelligence. Because he also had the foresight to do that. Okay, a good word is cunning. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. This is cunning. He's planning because he yeah. knows at some point he might get caught or these heads and bodies might be discovered. Yeah. We don't know. He doesn't know when. You know and, what I mean? Like, you know, I don't want them to get but connected. But he's planning and... for that future day. He doesn't want them to all be interconnected. Right. 
So he, you know, takes the bullet out of the skull. He buried Cindy's head in the backyard and he took her remaining body parts. He divvied them up in plastic bags and he threw the bags off a cliff. The body was discovered within 24 hours, but that did not worry our boy Ed. Because of course it didn't. Why would it? Just a month later, well, under a month later, February 5th, 1973, Big Ed and his mom get into a huge argument and he storms out of the house. He decides to go hunting. You know what kind I mean. Mm-hmm. And he finds Rosalind Thorpe. He picks her up, engages her in conversation. They come across Alice Louis. I think it's Lou. Lou. L-U-I. L-U-I. You guys tell me. Um, she joins them in the car. God help these ladies. Uh, he drives the group around for a while before he intentionally distracts Rosalind. And while her head is turned, Ed shoots her. And this is what I'm talking about. Like, he has no true discernment for, there like, how he no goes around killing them. Nope. Like, he's like, this is what tickles my fancy today. I actually think at this point he's like, well, I've gotten away with it. So like, he's just getting more ballsy YOLO, with it. let's just do whatever floats Because that my could mind. not have been very clean for his car. As far as forensics goes. (laughs) Well, forensics back then were like, the hair looks brown and curly. You know what I mean? Oh, there's some blood here. Well, as we (laughs) saw in Ted Bundy's case, they were like, it's a dark, wavy hair. Right. It's not like it is now where they can, you know, name your grandparents and that you came from Italy or whatever. (laughs) Right. Yeah, no, that's fair. It's not the same. Um, But despite the mess, he shot her. Um, he fired multiple shots towards Alice, who was in the backseat at the time, but unfortunately for her, I think, she doesn't die right away. Yeah. He stops right outside of town and shoots Alice point blank. I mean, I guess at least he puts her out of her misery, because that's like... No, no. He's the worst. He is the worst. We hate him. I'm just but glad yes. that he didn't drive away around and just let her suffer in the backseat. True. You're right, girl. Um... Both bodies end up in the trunk of his car, which seems to be his favorite storage spot. Um, he can gaze at them longingly. That's just... What? It's fucking gross. Even saying that made me feel gross. <laughs> I need to take a shower when I get home. Honestly. <laughs> um, Ed makes his way home, but he's only there for a few minutes. He leaves quickly, claiming he needs some cigarettes. Uh, he needed to tend to the bodies, is what he needed to do. <laughs> Which he beheaded. What? <laughs> I'm shocked. The next morning, he brings the bodies inside the apartment. Or I think it's apartment or house. I honestly don't know. Yeah. It wasn't really specified. Inside of his mother's Wherever dwelling. he lived with his mom. Right. So he brought the bodies inside, removes the bullet again from Rosalind's head. Well, he's practiced now. And he sexually violates Alice. <sighs> hmm. Um, he drives out of Santa Cruz to dispose of most of the body parts. However, the heads and hands were taken to Pacifica, which is, I think, a cop thing he probably learned, which mm. is, like, the different... Like, dump sites kind of Well, thing? if they're in different counties, the cops mm. aren't probably going to connect at all. Right. At first, at least. Right. So that'll give them some lag time to just... Fuck around and do what he wants. I think that's why we see so many. I mean, like, there's a statistic about X amount of serial killers, like, being active in the U.S. on any given At day. At any given moment, yeah. But I think that we see a lot of the the ones that, were, like, had longevity and got away with things for so long 
took place around this time because that's just it. There was no connection. There was no databases. Nobody was sharing information. Like, criminal minds didn't exist. Right. Like, all, you know, and it's insane because, like, it's 2022 now, and I can't even fathom what that would look like. I mean, we literally watched somebody, like, kill somebody on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Like, what, just a handful of years ago? I feel like that's happened multiple times at this point. And that one was here. Well, he oh, came yeah. here from Ohio. Oh, yes. Because remember he got caught with the chicken nuggets? That is true. Mm-hmm. There was a guy from, I think, Cleveland, the Cleveland ki- area. The Cleveland Facebook killer, and I think is what they called them. he killed somebody in Cleveland, drove here. He actually bludgeoned a bar owner to death. Yeah. Killed their dog and basically maimed the husband for life before he drove away again. Mm-hmm. And and then he got caught by a fucking McDonald's employee. Because this McDonald's employee recognized the dude from the Facebook Live video. And told him that his nuggets was going to take a little bit longer because they needed to drop new ones. And, and they called, called the police. The cops. And the dude figured it out. I mean, but very soon. It was scary, though, because... At the time, Susan and I both worked in an area near where uh-huh. all of this was ta- taking place. And, like, the dude was at large for four days, I think. Yeah. It was scary. Here's a little twofer for you guys yeah. this episode. <laughs> Some background <laughs> on Erie. Right? I'm telling you. So, this all brings us to the evening where Ed commits his final acts of horror. It's the big finale, folks. Like, da da April 20th, 1973. On this night, Ed is waiting to see his mom. She wasn't home as she'd gone out right after work, so Ed waits up for her. He's killing time, he's drinking, he's watching TV, just hanging out. Finally, at four in the morning, she arrives home. I would assume also drunk. What was this bitch doing out? Honestly, she's like, I don't want to see my fucking psychopath of a son. He just wants to probably annoy me. Or whatever. Also, if she's got a mental disorder and she's drinking on top of it and it's just all unattended, it's not probably great. just a big hot mess express all up there. All Not yeah. great. Not good. <laughs> it's not good, Lynn. It's not good. <laughs> um, so four in the morning, she gets home. The two talk briefly and she goes off to bed. Ed returns to his bedroom, but he just hangs out and waits till she falls asleep. At this point, Kemper creeps into her room and begins to batter his mother with a claw hammer. A cl- you guys, a claw hammer would hurt <laughs> like a motherfucker. Like, and it wasn't even like, like the claw. Like that's just so sadistic. Ah, it's so sharp. And, <laughs> All of- <laughs> and also keep it again. Remember. He's six foot nine and three hundred pounds. He had to have been able to put like some. So there's strength. some force behind that. Your skull bones would not even like. Stand yeah. a chance. Well, and then he ultimately kills her by slashing her throat. That's the thing that gets me is that she, the de- her death was caused by the throat slashing, not the bludgeoning of the hammer. I actually feel like he enjoyed watching people suffer. I'm and sure. then when he got tired of watching them suffer, he was like, and Shh. now I'm done. Right. And that was it. Listen, I mean, you know, Ooh, you're probably gross. fucking Ugh. right. That's my thought, anyway. So. Surprise, surprise, Kemper proceeds to decapitate the body. He sexually violates the head of his his mother, and he proceeds to use it as a dartboard. He got a little creative this time. So, again, I just feel like this speaks to the rage that he holds deep in himself for his mother. He put her vocal cords in the garbage disposal and was disappointed, yet darkly amused, that the machine couldn't break down the tissue. 
Post arrest, Ed actually comments on this and he says, quote, that seemed very appropriate as much as she bitched and screamed and yelled at me over the years. Like, what? Oh, Ed. Oh, Ed. It, like, oh. that's the thing. Like, everything that he does is with such intention. And that's what really, like... Is terrifying? Yeah, really yeah. gets me <laughs> is that just every single step of the way, even from the time he was 15 years old, like, every single thing he did was with intention. Well, and so he committed his first murders at 15. He's had to have been plotting that since he was, like, 10 mm-hmm. or 12. Like, uh, uh, Honestly. Um... These horrors are not over, you guys, because Ed calls his mother's friend's friend, Sarah Hallett, and invites her over for dinner. His idea was to kill Sarah to throw off any suspicion that he could possibly, in any way, shape, or form, be responsible for his mother's death. He invited her for dinner, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's what it said. He called her up and was like, hey, come to dinner. Let me kill you? She was like, Sure. It's not weird at all that I'm not talking to your mom, who's my friend. Let me. Oh, that's right. They were in a fight over some weird money dispute, yeah. weren't they? Which makes it even more weird that this would happen, but whatever. However. I see you, Sarah. Here Sarah goes. She arrives at the house. Big Ed strangles her. What? First, he tries manually, which I... Looking on his back history, he can't... He can't strangle do people. that. Why, Which though? is... Right, I was just going to say, like, that's If true. Ted Bundy can, who's, like, half your... Not even half your size, why can't you? You know, I don't... Okay, if I really had to think about it, Bundy had such a rage. And I think that with Bundy, he would go... He would get these, like, fits where he just had to go, like, murder somebody, like, brutally. And with Ed, it's more of, like, a slow burn. I feel burn. like Ed is more controlled. Yeah. Rage, I guess. I, I mean, that's... I think it's rage, but it's definitely more controlled. Well, and it was very specific to his mom. Like, I don't think anybody was surprised after the fact... Right. ...that his mom was the end game. However, <laughs> his last victim... Well, maybe not his last, but she's pretty close... He winds up strangling Sarah with Ico's scarf, you guys. So he kept the scarf probably as a memento. Like a trophy. Yeah, and then he wound up using it in another murder. Um, And of course, because Ed is Ed, he sexually violates uh, Sarah's corpse. And then he flees the scene because as it seems to be sort of like his path, he does something that's, like, so... And then he panics. ...irreparable that he can't come back from, that yeah. he just freaks out. Um, he uses Sarah's car, drives eastward, uh, but because it's stolen, he leaves it at a gas station. He then rents a car and drives for 18 hours, barely making any stops. He's avidly listening to the radio the whole time, waiting to hear if there's any news regarding the murders. However... He doesn't hear anything. Nope. Not a word. Um, but while driving in Colorado, he does get popped for speeding. But apparently back then you could just pay your fine right on the spot. Yeah. That's what it seemed like. <laughs> um, and the police officer is none the wiser to the fact that a serial killer with heads and all sorts of weird fetishes <laughs> just rolled up right on out of town. You know, what really gets me about that is thinking about the police officer. Like, after the fact. Could you imagine how pissed you would be 
knowing that you let that fucking guy go. So any crime drama I've ever watched has an episode like that. <laughs> it Criminal Minds, I know for a fact Medium has one where it's like, that is the case that sticks in the cop's mind forever because <laughs> you let that guy go. Right. Like I mean, the, ima- the amount of guilt, I just, I don't know. And no, it's not it. their fault. How do you know? If you present as a perfectly logical human being, how are you supposed to argue with that, you know? Well, especially <laughs> because at this point, like, he obviously just committed the murders of his mom and his mom's friend. So, like, nobody knows. Right. So, you know, Ed's on this road trip, <laughs> and he ends up Quote, in... <laughs> he crazy ends road trip. His fucking uh, fleeing, fleeing of the scene. He ends up in Pueblo, Colorado, when he realizes there's just no coverage regarding his crimes. And I feel like he's pissed. I literally (laughs) was like, and he's mad. It's like his grandmother not trusting him all over again. He's like, these goddamn police officers. Just to prove a point, I'm going to call the cops on myself. Like, don't they know I am a murderer and I need to be stopped? I don't, I don't, I don't get it. So he pulls over and he calls the police himself. And he confesses, but he has to convince the police that it wasn't a prank before they would take him seriously, which, like, I get. In the 70s, they probably got way more prank calls than they do now. So, you remember phone books, everybody? <laughs> you could just open up and dial whoever you wanted. It's like, I've made prank phone calls. Is your refrigerator running? <laughs> that was a game. We would just open the... F- Granted, it wasn't the police station, but right. we'd just open the phone book and be like, no, no, no. Your mom is a butt or whatever, and then hang <laughs> up. Like, but I would never be like, I murdered ten people. <laughs> you know, sometimes I haven't so much seen it since I have come back to Starbucks. But before, when I was still a shift supervisor and I was closing a lot, people would call and prank the store all the time. Really? Not like all. I shouldn't say all the time, do? but like maybe once every like ten days, I would get somebody call and like. Just try to fuck with me in any in any capacity, whether it was just like, do you got a do you have a skunk frappuccino? Do you have this frappuccino? Like, okay. it's always frappuccinos. So, I worked a call in job like everybody mm, did. Same, because I got a two hundred dollar bonus if I made it two shifts after training or whatever. <laughs> and I wow, how always, desperate were they? I would all so desperate. That's some post-pandemic shit right there. No, this was back in the day when I was in college, Mm. so a thousand years ago. Stop it. But everybody (laughs) in Erie knows West. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you are a millennial that grew up in Erie, I'm sure you... Talk did to us, friends. Did you work at West? Did you get the guy that asked you what kind of socks you had on? Oh, that's I weird. always did. And I would get yelled at because I hung up on him. I didn't engage with him. When I was mm-hmm. 19, I worked at... It was technically called working for Verizon. But I was a 411 operator, basically. And oh, for yeah. those of you who don't know what 411 was, oh, it memories. was basically like the phone directory. It was basically a phone book How, on a computer. Pizza Hut? Where's El Canelo? Pretty much. Or like, How do I get to the Milky Can you connect Kong? me? Because like while smart thing, smartphones were a thing, they were like for rich people. And Not like, nobody really had them. They weren't even that smart. They, they weren't, weren't fun yet. Computers yeah. like we have now. <laughs> Honestly, it was nowhere near it. <laughs> But I would get the most ridiculous calls because the schedules were based on seniority. So when you first start, I had to work like 7 at night to 3.30 in the morning. That sounds like the worst time it to was. be working. It was. I only lost it at a job for a summer. But 
I had this one guy, I remember, he asked me what my name was, and I would make shit up, and he told me he was going to tattoo my name on his dick, and I think I told him my name was, like, Mary or something, he's like, that way it says Mary, and I was like, okay, this is weird and gross. I had somebody else offer to fly me to Florida to be his sugar baby. Mm. Um, I had another guy call and kept me on the phone for, like, 20 minutes which was not okay you had you were supposed to have an average call time of like 10 seconds this dude had me on the phone for 20 fucking minutes talking about conspiracy theorists and i was waiting for the goddamn government to like oh, <laughs> come into he, the building he just wanted somebody to listen to yeah him. and i did i was two in the morning what was i doing this man would be like <laughs> <laughs> that's so creepy what do your socks look like no and i was like uh, None of their business. I'm not even wearing socks. Well, I was like, they're white, cause fuck you. <laughs> like I'm you gonna asshole. tell you. And he was like, Are you sure? <laughs> and I was like, Pretty sure. And I would just hang up on him every yeah. time. But apparently, I only worked Sunday mornings, and he was always a Sunday morning caller. Mm. Son of a bitch. I don't. I he mean, always called about, remember the Ronco food dehydrator? Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's funny because that job is the reason. Call within 30 minutes or you won't get the deal. <laughs> right. That job is the reason that I know, knew about the Cricut cutting machines and why I have one today. Nice. So, <laughs> so I mean, at least. Full circle. <laughs> at least that job did something great for me. Because we now have cool merch with stuff on it. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm in the process of designing some t-shirts as we speak, so... Get ready, guys. It should be cool. So we're at the point where Kemper is like, fuck these popo. They don't know anything what's happening, and I need to tell them what's up. So he eventually gets them to believe him, and he guides police to where he's located. And they arrest him upon arrival. And it was at this point that he confessed to committing acts of necrophilia and cannibalism, which, ugh, gross. Um, so this brings us to October of 1973. Um, Big Ed enters a plea of guilty by insanity, but let's be real here. By the time Kemper made it to trial, he had already given up every little detail right. of his crimes. What that else were they going to do? to talk. And talk and talk and talk and so talk and I, talk. His defense had, they had no other choice but to claim insanity. Um, yeah. the, de- the attorney even went as far as bringing in witnesses to try and establish a lack of responsibility for his crimes. Um, which clearly didn't work. That worked real well. Um, the prosecution was able to undermine basically everything at every point that the defense (laughs) tried to come up with. Um, Dr. Dr. Joel Fort, who was a, um, witness for the prosecution, interviewed Kemper and reviewed his case at length. The end of the story was that Kemper was not a paranoid schizophrenic, but was instead a sociopath, which we learned... How many years before? He was diagnosed when he was 15. 15, Right. Um, And he was obsessed with sex and violence. Like, no shit. That's a big fat duh. Duh. Um, The trial lasted all of three weeks, but the jury only needed to deliberate for five hours. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that jury room. Like, everybody, like, can you imagine the foreman? Like, all right, so he's guilty, right? So this is still like, the fuck early this guy. 70s. I feel like there was, like, one woman and, like, 11 men. Yeah. And they were probably just, like, this guy This guy's pretty guilty, right? Clearly guilty, right? Like, fuck. Ugh. Fuck this talking bullshit. <laughs> 
Um, Ed Kemper is found guilty of eight counts of first-degree murder. Um, at his sentencing, he requested the death penalty. <laughs> I'm laughing because this next part is just, <laughs> what? <laughs> Makes you go, huh? Um, he claimed that he should be tortured to death. I mean, the man wasn't wrong. Well, he should be, but that's yeah. literally, we're nicer than that here. But if that's what you want... I'm less inclined to be like, yeah, let's give you that. Yeah. Um, however, sadly for everyone, I guess, <laughs> the death penalty was suspended at the time, so he received eight concurrent life sentences in Folsom, pounding in the ass, maximum security <laughs> prison. I, I mean, it. it's office. You're not wrong. Um, today, Ed Kemper is in his 70s. He still likes to talk, and he's mm-hmm. still incarcerated at well, now it's the California Medical Facility, which I guess is, like, different because he's old, right? I think so. I think that's where older prisoners are housed. He definitely looks the worst for the wear. I saw a picture that was taken in the last few years. I mean, he's still fucking creepy, though. He just looks like a bloated version of himself at this point. And <laughs> he looked like a bloated version of yeah. himself to but begin like, with. So, but like he was left in the water for too long. <laughs> it's it's wild. It's super wild. So I have some like really random miscellaneous facts about Mr. Kemper here. So at the time of Ed's wild and out, if you will, there was another active serial killer, Herbert Mullen. I'm going to look into at some point and see if there is enough information on, like, what he did. Maybe we can do, like, a mini episode or something on him just because. Um, And there was also another individual, John Lindley Frazier, that committed three murders at that same time. So I think that really had a lot to do with why none of his crimes were connected, ultimately. Well, and, and as we've touched on before, and we'll probably touch on again back yeah. then, police departments didn't assume that things like serial killers... Yeah. I mean, I knew... They didn't have the term I for it. I knew that they knew it was happening. Like, obviously, these are connected, but they didn't know how to put it into words. Yeah. They didn't know how to frame it as, like, how do we catch the person that's doing this? When you have, like, wavy hairs and, <laughs> you know, a slender guy in a mask like a pretty typical what are you supposed to do honestly the interesting thing about mullen is that kemper and mullen were briefly held in joint cells during which time kemper angrily accused mullen of stealing his dump sites imagine that conversation in like the lunchroom at the jail like you stole my ravine how How fucking dare you how dare you like like shank him in the lunch line later also like there's how many ravines are there? I, I don't want to Brie, I don't want to be like morbid, but how many murders do we not know about? Honestly. And how many are unsolved because people just went missing? I feel like Kemper... To claim that somebody stole your dump site, like that's not even a thing. Yeah. And I feel like Kemper is really probably one of the... I don't, I don't want to say one of the few because my knowledge is not that vast, but he's one of the ones that we know for sure committed to all of his crimes i don't think there's anything that kemper is hiding from us oh my god that man likes to talk you know what i mean well and he has such an interesting insight because you know he was locked up in a mental facility and he befriended psychologists for five years so he has a very interesting like self-awareness that's a weird like two 
sides to the same coin. Like, not only are you meeting the criminals and getting to know them intimately, but you're also meeting your psychologists and getting to know them intimately. Right. Like, that's... That's gross, you guys. It's odd. It's just really... Like, that's that's what makes Kemper such an interesting case, I think. Well, and he was one of the first to open up and be like, Mm -hmm. yeah, let's talk about it. Let me tell you all the things about all the stuff and whatnot, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So... I mentioned that I have this book called The Book of Serial Killers or something like that. And Ed is in there. I have it on my desk over here. That's my other my other my other book of of true crime things. Um so John Good Godwin, he wrote a different book called Murder USA, The Ways We Kill Each Other, which seems really interesting and we might want to consider checking that one out. But he wrote a he wrote quote Kemper was driven by manic sex urges, but saddled with a crippling sense of inferiority. He had a small penis, which on him looked minuscule oh, and was no. quite inept as a lover. Oh, no. <laughs> so, I mean, that makes was sense, there, though, too, like, with everything. So, is there any reference to Ed actually having a normal functioning relationship with yes. a female? I'm pretty sure he was... In a very serious relationship at one point. In fact, if I remember correctly, yeah, right here. Kemper believes that he would have gotten married with children had parole been granted. And he was engaged at the time of his arrest. According to one source. You know how things can go sometimes. But according to that source, he was in a relationship. He... Shuddering. <laughs> During an interview, Kemper claimed he killed due to his inability to communicate his frustrations and was scared of failing at relationships. So that kind of speaks to the whole small penis situation. Sorry about your small dick, but you didn't have to murder 47 you know, people. On it's a man of that size, it might not even have been oh like my God, technically small. Like- you know what I mean? It was probably just small, like, in comparison to his body. I don't know. I don't want to know. like a pinky finger. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> Breathe, picture. Breathe, picture. picture. <laughs> that picture everybody look with at him in the handcuffs. Everybody look at your pinky finger. <laughs> and then go do a Google search on Ed Kemper. <laughs> oh, man. This oh, image will no. be burned in my brain forever. I can't get it out of my head now. <laughs> my eyes hurt all of a sudden. Oh. Huh. This devolved in This devolved quickly. Uh, this is... Oh, man. <laughs> so, another little random fact. Uh, Ed claims that he could not kill the women who would talk about the case with him. He said that it really, like, threw him off. And so, like, apparently your trick to... The trick to survival with Ed Kemper was to just talk about current events. Do you think it, like, stoked his fire that he was, like... Because nobody ever talked about him or yeah. his crimes. Do you think that, like, really just, like, was, like, ooh, yeah. I think it might have been the opposite, honestly. At least I think he's talking about me. I think that it incited that panic that he is, like, notorious for feeling after these moments. I think that he got nervous and that he was, like, I can't... Well, I'm curious to see, though, how many girls were let go after talking about current events and then when the next murder happened. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I couldn't find any time, kind of timeline. I did try to look, but... He anything well, I, I could find. I don't think Kemper was quite as prolific as Bundy because Ed Kemper was 
gargantuan. Well, he wasn't as able to, like, blend in. Yeah, and, he like, couldn't at all. And he, I don't think he had the Rico Suave thing going where he could just be like... Well, no, he was so insecure. Yeah. Like, and that was the thing. That, that I think, is, like, the biggest difference between those two men is that Bundy had the manipulation and the charisma... We just Where, talked Bundy. That's why right. I'm hungry. <laughs> and like Kemper had the manipulation and the intelligence, but being really intelligent can also make you really awkward and not comfortable in he just like looks, he just social situations. Awkward. To me. Even just talking, like hearing him talk, like I don't like. I don't want to listen to his voice. It no. makes my skin crawl. We've talked about this before, but I'm a huge fan of the show Mind Hunter on Netflix. I there's a rumor we might get a season three, and I think they're toying with me, but I hope not. But it's really great. If you haven't seen it and you like this kind of shit, which you obviously do if you're here, um, check it out. The guy who is. Uh, playing Kemper, it's fucking eerie, like, how similar well, also, they are. So, Mind Hunter is basically what went into creating the BAU, yeah, it, correct? it follows the story of the two men who essentially created, like, the BAU or BSU. I, I don't remember what the FBI actually calls it. But I just call it the BAU because of Criminal Minds. You'll Dr. have to excuse me. I Dr. Spencer Reed. I don't care. I'll watch that shit every day and every I night. I love it. And also, they base a lot of their cases on things that actually happened. Yeah. They take a lot from reality. Because mm-hmm. I sometimes, <laughs> this is where we're at with serial killers, sometimes I will watch Criminal Minds and I'll be like, that sounds like fill in the serial killer. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh God, that's probably who they base it off yeah. of. I know how this ends. Like, it's obviously <laughs> dramatized. It's obviously fiction. I don't but care. I'll it's... still watch it. I mean, I love me some Matthew Gray Goobler. Me too. I love him. The swoopy hair. Oh my god. That's why I watch Deadly Women because of uh, Candace DeLong. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Anyways, back to Big Ed. <laughs> uh, let's see. He also said that he was tempted to go to the memorial services for at least one of his, one of his victims, but refrained because of the implications. This is what gets me is that he is so pissed that nobody's talking about him and there's no coverage on the radio and God forbid I have to turn myself in just to get people to know. But then you're you have enough restraint to and enough foresight to be like okay if if I do this I could get caught. That it just doesn't mesh. Again, I feel as though and this will be coming up in a case down the road but i feel like it's like they want to be caught at a certain point like obviously if his mother was his end game Mm -hmm. he accomplished that goal what else is there and i really think and i think other like criminal analysts have spoken to that is that with kemper specifically he had an end game whether he knew it consciously or not that once that happened, he had his moment of panic, which we've seen so many times throughout every, almost every single murder he committed. Right. He has that moment of, oh, fuck. What do I do? And it just so happened that he, like, kind of devolved after killing his mom, which, I mean, makes sense. So the thing about Big Ed here is that he has a really big role in pop culture, which is gross disconcerting mm-hmm. to it's say the gross. least um you can say gross so there is this industrial or at least was in two in 2000 way back um an industrial death metal band from melbourne victoria australia they were called the berserkers they actually put, of course they were right they released a song called forever that contained actual samples from kemper's testimony 
So one of the lines was, and it was his, I, I listened to the song. You can find it on YouTube, I'm pretty sure. It's his voice. Like, they literally pull the sample of him, and it says, quote, I'm sitting there with a severed head in my hand, talking to it or looking at it, and I'm about to go crazy. Literally, I'm about to go completely flywheel loose and just fall apart. Why that's in a song, I will never understand. The Berserkers. An industrial death metal band, though. So, there's that. Um, You know Australia was a penal colony? Mm, What Mm -hmm. is that? So, that's where they sent all the criminals. Oh, okay. That's Mm -hmm. how it started out. You know, think 19 Crimes Wine children. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. I love 19 Crimes Wine. The wine is good, but 19 Crimes could get you sent to Australia as punishment. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. That's what's on the corks. Lesson huh. learned. The Pop more you cork, know. Oh, it's a rainbow. <laughs> wow. Wow, wow, wow. You, lo- you really do learn something new every day, folks. You lost me at death metal, though. <laughs> Good on that. Well, here's another, <laughs> another metal band. There was a Japanese doom metal <laughs> what band. Is, uh, what is... So... <laughs> Can I just ask if anybody knows what the difference between death metal and doom metal is? I'd be very intrigued to know. I'm super curious. I have a lot of questions. And also, I mean, they're not, neither of these bands are from the States, which in and of itself isn't a bad thing. It's just, it really speaks to... A lot of people romanticize our culture, even if it's horrible. Well, and, that's because you know it is I mean? mostly all horrible, so I guess you'd have to. But, like, people love McDonald's. When I was in France, there's the Arc de Triomphe, the beautiful, <laughs> it's fucking gorgeous. Dear Lord, the sun is beating down on it. I turn around, there's a goddamn three-story tall McDonald's. What? Do you think that has something to do with the fact that, like, our culture here is so, like, fast food and... McDonald's, I will say, I did have the french fries, and their coffee was bomb.com. <laughs> I mean, I believe but it. But I don't eat McDonald's. Yeah. And to I me, really. that was like a, this is a beautiful historical part of a city. What is this gross, weird eyesore doing yeah. here? I, I don't know. I, I'm sorry if you like McDonald's. I'm not trying <laughs> to offend anybody. Mark loves McDonald's, and I, I mean, when, I, when I'm drunk, I can definitely get some chicken nugs, but... It's not my first choice, that's for sure. I don't know. I think it just speaks to the, like, the well, like, how well-known he is. And, like, I think that has a lot to do with how talkative he is and just oh, how sure. much well, he's shared over the years. if you want to source material, Ed Kemper is your guy because the man does not show There's, like, as we've said, like, there's just so much shit out there. So this Japanese doom metal band was called The Church of Misery. So, I mean, very doom and gloom. They released an album in 2001 where five out of the six tracks are inspired by serial killers. And in theory, like, I feel like that's a cool idea. But, like, I don't... If you're doom metal, I get it. Right. Also, wouldn't you be worried you'd be raising a whole nother crop of them? I guess it really depends on what the song was. I couldn't actually find the track, so I I, after Uh, after the Berserkers, I was I was super good on that. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna shut the YouTube tab and call it a fucking day. 
<laughs> so Kemper was also quoted in the book American Psycho, which I never knew. Uh, they paraphrase the infamous line of, I wonder what her head would look like on a stick. And incorrectly attributes it to Ed Gein, actually. No, Ed Gein liked the skin. Yeah. He didn't give a shit about your bones. No, he wanted he to wanted wear, to wear your skin, skin like a coat. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Yep. We'll get to him there. eventually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was another band in the late 90s from Montgomery, Alabama that named themselves the Ed Kemper Trio. That's a little too on the nose for my own liking, but, you know, whatever floats your boat, I guess. No. <laughs> System of a Down also referenced Kemper in one song from an album that actually got leaked. The lyrics went something like Ed Kemper, Edmund Kemper solved it all. He fooled the shrinks, which he, they, that, he, that he did. <laughs> they're not actually wrong, you guys. No. Because he did. And I actually like System of a Down. Uh, as do I. I, feel I had, like most people are like, oh, that's yeah. like our new metal. Like, those are our people. When I was in high school, I was kind of sort of talking to this guy who was like very goth and into all that kind of stuff and I just really I was somebody who really wanted to be liked in high school so I was like oh my god let me listen to all of your stuff and I actually really enjoyed System of a Down. I like several songs yeah but I've always been of the mindset with music if I like it I'm just gonna listen to it. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm yeah I agree. I'm like that now. The Ed Kemper, but yeah, it's what weird. Are you do? The whole Kemper solved it all thing, like that. Really, I don't. What's your point? What's the point of that lyric? Not that he solved it all, but he cracked the code. I don't like it, it. He figured out how to get away with it. It y'all. makes me feel icky, cringy. I don't like it. The song was ultimately dropped from the released version. I don't know if that had to do with the fact that it was leaked, and it, they didn't want to release something that was leaked, or if they release, or if they. Cut it because of the content. Back in the early 2000s, if it was leaked on Napster, it might as well be dead too because, ew, gross. Oh my god, do you Everybody's remember? Already heard it. Do you remember LimeWire? Mm-hmm. God, the amount of viruses. days later. <laughs> <laughs> so many. I get my one song. So many burnt CDs. <laughs> I had I had a mixtape for every feeling Ooh, girl, I could possibly I have. I have one in my car right now. Oh, I love Man. that. I lost a lot of mine, like, Late throughout 90s, the shuffle. Late 90s, early 2000s. Y'all hit me up. I'll give God. you the, the playlist. <laughs> what I wouldn't give to have even just one of the ones that I made. Um, so I moved last September, and I accidentally found a cache of random things <laughs> that I saved for no apparent reason, one of them being this CD. Oh, my gosh. We're going to have to, like... It's a wine fest playlist. Yes, there we go. Boom. Um, Anyways. So that's basically it where we're at. Ed Kemper is fucked. He was a horrible person, but he was so smart that he got away with it. It's it's really wild. It. I just he got he got released from a mental hospital after being diagnosed as a sociopath. That's what really gets me the most. I mean, yes, it's he killed a handful of women and it's fucking awful. But like, how? How did you get released, bro? That never should have happened. No. He never should have been. He committed a double murder at the age of fifteen. Could you imagine being that single that single doctor out of twenty and he's just sitting there shaking shaking my damn and head? I guarantee <laughs> they ostracized him because like, I'm sure. no, he's perfectly well adjusted. What's wrong with you, I was, Melvin? <laughs> let me think of a weird sixties name. If I was that doctor, I would have walked in the work and been like, 
I fucking told you, goddamn idiot. <laughs> like, I ho- and honestly, I hope this doctor did. I hope he was smug as fuck about it. He deserves Not it. Not smug, but like, I told you. Yeah. I tried to prevent I would have been so frustrated. I feel like I would have just been like, what... The actual fuck is our job if we're not going <laughs> to prevent shit from like yeah. this from happening. Exactly. But I mean, on the flip side, hopefully, you know, I feel like a lot of good came out of the situation in the sense that he played a huge role in, you know, the FBI compiling this database and kind of got the ball rolling he, with a lot of that. So. so in that, thank God he likes to talk because mm-hmm. he's helped a lot with learning how serial killers think yeah how they work because their brains really do how work they plan completely. it's a totally different map from a normal brain yeah it's just i can't even which is interesting it's morbidly fascinating hence he's gross and we hate him but. hence the podcast so that's all we wrote for ed kemper Let's wrap it up, kids. Um, How I, are those drinks? Yeah, I hope you guys Let enjoyed us it. Tag us on Instagram. Yes, so we have Instagram, we've got Facebook, we've got Twitter. So on Instagram and Facebook, you can find us at Crime and Spirits Pod. It is the word and. So C R I M E A N D S P I R I T S P O D. Yes, girl. I was like, oh, I only wrote down half of it. Uh, Twitter is just Crime Spirits Pod, no and. Um, you can find our podcast on Anchor, Spotify, and Amazon. We are Ooh, Amazon. Yeah, we are working on adding it to Apple and Google, but I am illiterate when it comes to this kind of shit. So as am I. So it's a learning curve for us. Bear with us. Just let us know if we can figure out a different solution for you. Mm -hmm. We will try our best. For sure, for for sure. Please, 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 like, come hang out with us on social medias. Uh, If you made the drink, tag us. Let us know what you thought. Uh, Suze puts a lot of work into researching and doing this kind of stuff, and we really appreciate her. I do, and I love it, and I want you to also love it. So if you love it or don't love it, just hit me back. Um... But be nice. <laughs> constructive, <Always> be kind. <laughs> constructive criticism. But uh, yeah, so thank you very much, and uh, we'll see you guys later. Bye, Bye guys.